Good afternoon, Monita. How are you today? Hi, Mark. Very well. How are you? Good. I apologise up front. I'm out in the middle of nowhere at the moment and uh, my signal is not very good. So, Monita will be taking over if I say freeze. <laughs> well, but we've Dis already, we're already off. struggling. <laughs> You're in the you're in the middle of nowhere. I believe you're in Mitchell, which I've just uh, learnt today where that is. So um, coming from downtown Mitchell. That's right. Well, actually, it's not downtown, but uh, and Mitchell is a nice place. So just maybe I'm in the wrong spot for the uh, for the four G signal. But uh, no, great to be here with you again today, Juanita, talking about all things estate and succession, mm -hmm. and. Um, Today, I know you'd like to kick off and talk about enduring powers of attorney to uh, start the session off today. Yeah, that's right. I thought we'd have a little chat about uh, the separate document that we know is an enduring power of attorney and because uh, some people aren't clear exactly on what it is. So um, why we have it, uh, what you need to decide to put it in place and, and a little bit about um, what it means and why it's such a powerful document. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to let you just keep right. talking because nobody will hear me. So, <laughs> and, and I know this won't be diff. This will not be difficult for you. I know. <laughs> no, no. Well, this is look out. I've got control here. This is going to be interesting, isn't it? Normally, you yep. try to shut me up. Now you're telling me to talk as much <laughs> as I want. This will be good. Um, so when we uh, when we do estate planning packages for clients, a lot of people uh, obviously know about wills and that they need to put wills in place, but. Also, another very important document is the enduring power of attorney. And this is a separate document which allows you to appoint who you would like to make decisions on your behalf if you can't make them. So the example of, uh, of that situation would be if you lost capacity. So if you were in an accident, perhaps, and uh, you weren't able to make those decisions for yourself, if you were having an operation, for example. But not only is it in a in a bad situation where there's um, ill health involved, it's also a very handy document. For example, if you were going on a holiday, on a uh, overseas holiday, none of us have done that for a while and probably won't for a while. Uh, so get these in place now before you go. Um, but if you were going overseas travelling, for example, you might want someone to sign documents on your behalf while you're, you're while you were gone, and you can authorise someone to act as your attorney to to do that for you. So. Uh, as well as uh, preparing for those unfortunate situations you might find yourself in, um, it's also a really great document practically for those other sort of situations. Also, uh, these days, uh, everyone's living longer and, uh, you know, we find uh, uh, some of the elder population uh, eventually may get uh, memory loss or dementia, those sort of illnesses. And that sort of period of time in your life is when you might need someone to be making decisions for you. And you know, by putting this document in place, you can, you can put some thought into who the appropriate person is and, and the right person is to do that. Hmm. So I'll just keep on going. Um, the, well, the... I, was just, I was just going to say, if, if you can hear me, enduring powers of attorney, hmm. I mean, I always used to use the example of if you had a car accident and you were unable to uh, to make decisions. So it's kind of when you're not dead, but you're not capable of uh, being able to make rational decisions, yeah. that's when the enduring power of attorney normally comes in, apart from, as you say, with, uh, you know, holidays and overseas trips, which we can forget about for a while. And it's important also to think, uh, a lot of people think, well, if something happens to me, my husband or my, you know, my wife will make that decision for me. But what a lot of people don't think about is the next level. So if both of you, for example, were in the example you gave, Mark, in a car accident, 
and your spouse couldn't make that decision for you, who then would you want to be making decisions for you? And that's normally that's normally the the step that requires a little bit of thought and a bit of a, a light bulb moment for a lot of people that uh, wanting to have that um, control of who would be making their decisions in that situation. Um, so with I've got a question for you if I, if, sure. if I just something came to mind. Uh, so let's just say uh, someone has been married and they're divorced and uh, they haven't changed their enduring power of attorney and they're mm -hmm. now with their next partner, spouse, whatever. Uh, what's the situation there if uh, does the ex spouse have control of the enduring power of attorney if you forget to change it? Yeah, it's, this is a really interesting part of the law because different, there's different rules for different documents. But for enduring powers of attorney, if you uh, have uh, divorced someone, then the, the elements of the document relating to that person are basically, imagine if it was just cut out with a pair of scissors and, and then the, um, the backup would apply. So um, oh, you, you don't have the evil ex-spouse making the decisions for you. However... It would be highly recommended that uh, you know, as we've spoken about before, that if you uh, do experience a, a, um, a relationship breakdown and a, a divorce or a settlement property settlement, that you you update all these documents because in some circumstances, that is not always the case, and and you could have the you know people making decisions for you that you don't want to, or receiving things yeah, that just, you don't want to. <laughs> uh, absolutely, I'm just asking for a friend. Asking for a friend, no worries. But you can tell that friend that's the case. <laughs> Okay. Uh, with, our, with our enduring powers of attorney, uh, another uh, uh, thing to know about that that a lot of people don't realise is that uh, the document is for uh, two separate types of matters. So you can nominate, uh, well, you do nominate an attorney to make decisions about financial matters, but also separately personal and health matters. And they may be the same person, but they don't necessarily have to be. So... Uh, if there's someone in your life that you think is more appropriate or better equipped to be making uh, financial decisions on your behalf, that could be person A, but you want this person to be making decisions if you are um, in, in health, poor health or about your, you know, your, your health decisions, that could be person B. Often it is the same person. Often people will put their spouse, but perhaps in, in the situation where you're nominating a backup, you might have different people that um, that you want to act for those those different types of decisions. Yeah, and that would make a whole lot of sense too, because if you've got someone uh, from a health point of view, you'd, you'd want someone caring and compassionate, uh, and yet the person that's best to look after your financial instruments, uh, 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 for, for example, maybe someone who's just cold and compassionate and very clinical. So, and and they would do the best job for you yeah. from a financial point of view. So. So, yeah, it could well be. I, I see plenty of reasons where, why you would have two separate people uh, doing that. Now, yeah. that uh, you, you, you mentioned too before about advanced health directives, Juanita. Yeah. Do you, want to, so, do you want to lead into those? Sure. I'll just add, before we leave in, during powers of attorney, I'll just add that you, you are able to nominate more than one person to act as well. So although, for example, I may, I may nominate you, Mark, as my attorney, you can also nominate more than one person. So I might nominate um, in my three children, if I had three children, to act as, as my attorney, backup attorney, for example. Uh, and yeah. then you can uh, nominate how you wish them to act. So do you wish them to act jointly? So all three out of three have to agree on a decision or perhaps it might be a two-thirds majority. 
or you can also say that they can act severally, which means any one of them can act. Uh, so it's, mm. it's, it, there's no right or wrong. It depends on the particular circumstance. And I guess you, you need to think about how those three people um, work together, where they're located, because if you need three people signing documents and, and one of them lives in Perth and one in Brisbane and one in Melbourne, then it might not be practical. So you need to think about where they're located, how they work together, um, make sure that you're comfortable that they'll make the decisions that you want them to uh, and, sure. you know, what's best for that particular situation. So it's quite flexible how you can, how you can nominate uh, your attorneys. Uh, a, a lot of people also will say, well, that, that document is just a document that I could just download off the internet. It's just a form I can fill out. And, yeah, sure that there is a template form that's prescribed by, by the government, by the legislation. But these days the, the simple form that you can download is just insufficient for most of um, our clients' needs. So, for example, we would also include in our enduring powers of attorney uh, special terms that uh, you have the option of including. And uh, probably a really good example of this is uh, special terms to do with superannuation because... These days, superannuation is such a large part of people's wealth and there's a little bit of a grey area where uh, we've seen some superannuation trustees don't want to deal with attorneys unless they've been specifically authorised to do so. So we would put in a term saying that you authorise your, your attorney to deal with superannuation trustees. And there's also all different little you know, types of um, examples like that that we would speak to a client about and and understand their situation and, and recommend um, different special terms that may be suitable to be put in so that's the reason why yeah. uh, it's not just a tick and flick document it's not a simple document and and it's uh it's a very powerful document so it's it's really important to make sure it's done correctly and not just um downloaded onto the printer and and you know tick the boxes and flick it off this is a uh, another reason not to go to the news agency to buy your legal documents. It is. You go to the news agency to buy your lotto, and when you win, then you <laughs> then all your estate planning is in place. But do not go there to buy your enduring power of attorney or your will, preferably. Okay. Very, <laughs> very good. Very good advice. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so advanced health directives. Okay. Yes. Yes. So these are separate documents, again, um, separate to our enduring power of attorney. So as part of your estate planning package, you'll have your, your will document, your enduring power of attorney document, and your advanced health directive document. Now, the advanced health directive document is a document which you can specifically set out wishes with respect to particular health decisions. So uh, things like uh, whether you would want to be resuscitated if in a, in a, in a, in a that sort of situation, whether you um, would want to receive life prolonging medication if you were in a in that situation in hospital, um, whether uh, you know wh whether you uh, are the sort of person who would want to get uh, resuscitation and and um, you know kept alive as long as you possibly could, uh, if you have any specific. Um, wishes around that, then you have the ability to, to write them in this document or tick yes or no to a whole series of questions. Uh, so we recommend that people put this in place, um, particularly to help their attorneys and probably more so, often your spouse knows about your beliefs, but if you're in the situation where you've nominated, your backup attorney's acting or your children are acting, um, a couple of reasons why this is useful, because it puts down on paper 
what your wishes are. So there can be no doubt. Uh, there can be no disputes between family members. There can be no, um, if you're in a situation where the attorneys have to act as a majority, then it's very clear and it helps guide them with their decision as to what you wanted. Uh, but also um, from a uh, another level, it can take out the emotion um, from, well, partly, for those attorneys because these are sort of the decisions that they will have to make and it's they're tough, they're emotional, uh, and by removing the, um, the, the decision from your attorney and having it down on paper in your advanced health directive, it can really um, help them in that situation, uh, having to make a difficult yeah. decision which might, you know, stick with them for a long time. Yeah, uh, I would imagine, if I can, uh, Winita, I would imagine that putting that pressure on uh, children uh, in, in a lot of cases, you're right. Kids would uh, kids would carry that uh, uh, guilt with themselves, even though they they knew that's what mum or dad wanted. But the mm. fact that they've said turn the machine off or don't resuscitate mm. uh, would would live with them for years and years and years. And and this is a way to to have a document which kind of backs up and tells the doctor, oh, these are these are the wishes of the of the, uh, the person and to take all that sort of responsibility and, and dec final decision-making away from uh, children, which, which could be very scarring, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, as I said, they're big decisions to make. And you mentioned the, um, the, you know, the involvement of a doctor and it's important to know with these documents, uh, obviously there's some pretty heavy questions being asked and, you, and medical terminology used throughout the document. So before um, the document gets signed off, you actually have to attend with, with your GP or with a doctor uh, who will explain to you uh, the terminology, make sure you understand what you're filling in, uh, answer any questions, and then they're required to uh, sign off a section in the, in the Advanced Health Directive saying that they have had that um, consultation with you, yep. then uh, then after that, you're then required to um, to have the document signed in front of a qualified witness, uh, which is a solicitor, justice of the peace, or commissioner for declarations. And we might revert on that note back to enduring powers of attorney in a minute. But so you can see that with the advanced health directive, um, it's it, it's essential, it's compulsory to involve the doctor in that process, which is obviously very important because of the type of questions and the the types of decisions that are being made in that document. Yeah. Yeah, very good. It's, uh, uh, but I mean, these, these are two things that uh, it's easy to, to not do, uh, but it can just make such a difference if they are completed when the time comes, it makes life so much easier for, uh, for those that are left behind. And I mean, this just seems to always be the common theme in everything we talk about, Juanita, is that everything we're doing is to make yes. life easy for the people that are left behind because without these things uh, in place, I mean, it's especially enduring powers of attorney as well. If you don't have an enduring power of attorney uh, in place uh, and no one can sign important documents to either sell something, keep something, move something, whatever, um, it just creates all sorts of grief, doesn't it, for, uh, for the people that are left behind. Yeah, it's definitely something we've spoken, we, I think it's come up in every single conversation we've had, Mark, that you know, no matter what the topic, it always reverts back to making things easier um, for those, for your family and, and your, your people looking after your affairs after you die. Um, I think with the enduring powers of attorney, I was thinking as you were just talking that it's also relevant to consider if you are nominated as an attorney for someone else. So if you yeah. are an attorney for your spouse or for your parents, 
uh, or a sibling, it's really important, I think, to, to get a bit of knowledge around what your duties are because a lot of people are nominated as their, their, their relatives or their, their family member's attorney sign the document because you, you do have to sign the document to accept that power. So if I appoint mm. you, Mark, I will sign it first and send it to you and you will sign your section and, and give it back to me. But um, it, it's, it's very easy for attorneys to accept their appointment without really understanding what's involved in it. Uh, there are specific duties, positive duties on an attorney. So uh, if I appoint you, Mark, as my attorney, then I lose capacity. You are locked in and you cannot resign without trotting off to okay. QCAT, uh, which is the, the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal. So it's, it's onerous and uh, you, you have the positive duty, so you can't just sit there and not, choose not to do anything. That's not acceptable. And uh, if you breach any of your duties, you can also become personally liable in certain situations. So yep. I think um, there's lots of, there is some readily, inf uh, readily available information available for attorneys and for people making enduring powers of attorney uh, on, it's a really good website, it's the QCAT website. So if, if you go to qcat.gov.au, uh, if you are an attorney for anyone, I really recommend either looking at, at that website or speaking to your solicitor to get a fact sheet. Lots of solicitors will have fact sheets on their websites. Uh, we certainly do at Murdoch. So um, if you are someone's attorney, I really recommend at least getting a basic knowledge of what your duties are so you know. Uh, and, you know, again, it's, it's just so easy to accept without knowing what your responsibilities are if they, if they are called in. Okay, great, great advice. Thank you, Juanita. And I hope you can still hear me at this stage. We can hear you. I saw you taking notes then. So maybe you're an attorney for someone and you've just had a light bulb no. moment. <laughs> no, but I, I, you were giving good advice, so I actually wrote it down. So there you go. With my special medical always pen. I know I don't I don't have one I need I've just got the cheap the cheaper Woolies variety I'll, I need to get my Murdoch's pen for next time you, you better speak to the guys <laughs> hey um one of the other things we we talked about so thank you for that on advanced health directives and during powers of attorney that's uh it's really interesting and I hope people sort of take uh take your advice there we need mm. one of the other questions is um <clears throat> excuse me and, and this was raised in uh conversations I had with some clients yesterday is uh, uh, who can contest wills? Uh, why, why and who and how can people contest wills? And, and once again, I mean, all the work that we do is to, and certainly myself, is to make sure that there's harmony between all of the kids in the relationship so that no one's going to want to contest the will because they understand mm. the logic behind where, why parents have done things in certain ways and so on. But you know, there's always a risk, and especially for those who don't work with us, is uh, there's always a risk that uh, children, others, and, and others, not just children, may try to contest a will. Uh, how can you stop, and amongst all this, if you could please answer, how do you stop a frivolous claim? Uh, this is a great topic. I could talk about this topic for well over the 10 minutes that we've got left, but I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, where do I start? So the first question you mentioned is who can contest a will? And hopefully I'll start this conversation by noting a lot of people will say to us, well, people can contest a will anyway, so why do I even bother with a will? So hopefully by the time I've finished giving some advice here, you'll understand why, um, if you didn't already appreciate, 
a will is still so valuable. Um, we've, I think we've given hours of advice over these Facebook streams already, so you, sure. you know you get the gist. But first of all, not anyone can contest your will. So there's only a certain class of people that can. So this is a starting point. So the only people that, that can contest a will is a spouse, a child, or a dependent, essentially. Um, spouse can include de facto spouse, same-sex spouse. Uh, children can include stepchildren. That's something a lot of people don't know. So if you're in a second marriage, your stepchild can uh, contest your will. And if someone's financially dependent on you, for example, um, a parent or perhaps even a uh, former spouse who's a, a biological parent of your child, there's also that category too. So your siblings can't contest your will, your grandparents can't, your cousins can't, your neighbours can't, etc., etc. It's only well, a child, spouse, child or dependent. Yes. <clears throat> a, lot of people, a lot of people are worried their siblings might, but that, that's not the case. So that's who, um, I guess, why and how. So when, when people make these um, specific types of applications, it's an application to the court. And basically they're saying that they should receive further provision from the deceased estate than they, than they did receive. Um, whether, they, whether they are eligible to make such an application and contest a will, which is the layman's terms, um, just because they're eligible doesn't mean they'll be successful. So the, the main um, reason why this ability exists in the law is to provide for people that haven't been provided for and have a need and, and I guess there's a moral obligation that they should have. So for people that make such an application that are really um, financially comfortable and have no specific financial or medical need, probably won't get very far. Uh, of course, depending on unless you're um, the son of uh, Kerry Packer or something like that where you've got a, a huge estate. But generally you have to prove some sort of financial uh, or medical need that you should be provided more. Uh, then the court looks at if it ever gets to court because I should say that um, most of these sort of applications are settled uh, or mediated well before they get to court, which is a good thing because court is expensive. So we don't like, um, you know, we don't encourage people to proceed to court on light, well, lightly because it's expensive, it's stressful, it's, it's not a fun process to go through. Um, however, if it does get to court and in assessing what you might, uh, you might uh, achieve if you were to make an application, the court mm -hmm. would look at things like uh, what your financial status is, what your relationship with the person that died was, if you had a great relationship or you were estranged, uh, if you have any dependents to support, if your spouse is doing really well or your spouse, um, you know, isn't earning much either and you have to disclose all that information, um, what the size of the estate is, if there's other beneficiaries that were named in the will that the deceased wanted to support. Uh, so all those sort of things to, and you can see it's, it's not a black or white um, decision or sure. process. It's, it's a, a lot, lot, a lot of things that are considered in deciding if someone uh, should receive any further provision than they already have or if they haven't in someone's estate. So a, a quick question. So um, let's just say there's a, a wealthy mum and dad, they've got four children, and one of the kids has given them a lot of grief. 
uh, or mm. hasn't been helpful in regard to to helping them, you know, build the estate, or they're married to someone they, that the parents don't like, and, and they mm. think that uh, they're just, uh, you know, pushing for money from the estate and so on. Uh, so if if there's an estate of 100% and, and it goes 30, 30, 30, 10, mm. um, does the child that only gets 10% because he's had a falling out with mum and dad, does that give them a, a like an automatic right to challenge? I mean, they probably will because they're angry and they feel like mm. they've been slighted at the expense of the other kids. But does that um, is, is that in itself a reason for someone to be able to to have, and I won't say to be able to contest a will, but be mm. able to have success in contesting a will. Well, I guess the, the first answer to that is they are eligible because <clears> they are a child. <throat> um, the fact that the will says 30, 30, 30, 10 doesn't give them an uh, automatic reason to contest. But if they can prove that uh, all those things that I just mentioned will come into to consideration, but if they can prove that they have a genuine need financially or medically, et cetera, or because they have to support someone that they um, should receive more than 10. That's the argument that they need to put forward. But the point you just, you, the example you just gave, the fact that um, a child may be estranged from that parent obviously is relevant to the reason that they were left with, in your example, 10% instead of 30. So the court would consider the circumstances for that. So um, was the estrangement, whose fault was the estrangement? Because uh, sometimes a child might be estranged, but it might be the, you know, the doing of the parent, not the child. So uh, what were the circumstances? What was the cause? You know, in its entirety, what did that relationship look like? So, um, you know, as I said, there's no black or white, but the, the child definitely could make an application to contest the will or ask for further provision, whether they succeed or not. There's a whole lot of homework that's got to be done and, and evidence put forward to to. Uh, be successful in such an application. You're being a lawyer, Juanita. You're not giving no. me an answer. So, <laughs> but yeah. can I tell you? Can I tell you that if you make a frivolous application, then yep. uh, then this is not a good idea because the court does not look lightly on people making frivolous applications and wasting people's money and time, etc. So if if you um, are given the advice that. Uh, you, you have a frivolous application and you're not likely to succeed if you proceeded and you did anyway, then you expose yourself to pay for costs, uh, even other okay. people's costs potentially. So um, this is a good reason why it's a deterrent for people that think, well, I'm going to run down the estate anyway and no one will get anything. Uh, that, doesn't, that, that strategy does not always work and can really expose those sort of um, we call them vexatious litigants. So that those sort of people Ooh. that just want to, want to. That just sounds uh, bad. <laughs> that just want to <laughs> get you know spend. Make sure no one gets anything. If I'm not going to get anything, no one will. That that doesn't really cut it. Well, because the point is that uh, in most cases, is this not true that uh, uh, whoever makes a claim against the estate, the estate actually pays all the legal costs. Is that uh, a general rule of thumb except it's, for uh, vexatious litigation? Vexatious litigants. Um, it is a, litigants. it's not always true. So that is, um, that is something is that, that some people, ex it's a, it is a myth. It's often the case um, that that may happen. Certainly executors, if they're uh, defending the estate against such a claim, their, their costs would come out of the estate. But often um, in, a, in settling these matters, it may be, may be agreed that the parties will pay their own costs. So it doesn't just automatically okay. 
come out of the estate. So you shouldn't go into one of these situations thinking, um, I'm, I don't have to pay for anything. The estate will pay for all my costs because it's not necessarily so. So that is why you need to get good advice because there's, you know, there's lots of um, technicalities around this area of the law and it's not just every child wins a prize and anyone can contest yep. a will. It's just not true. Okay. Uh, look, I understand. Um, and as much as I called you a lawyer for your answer because you didn't give a black and white answer, um, I also understand that the courts aren't black and white in these areas. So, and no. that's probably the issue, isn't it? That's and, right. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I just disappointingly see that there's a rise in the number of people who do contest wills these days. And uh, yes. Uh, you know, my take on that has been it's a it's probably a blight on the legal industry for encouraging it and advertising to, to contest wills. I know there are genuine cases where people need to and should, um, mm. but it seems to me that it's uh, it's become more and more a case of, oh, well, I might as well just, you know, see if I can get a bit more. So so uh, I'm glad you have told us all about vexatious litigants. <laughs> That's your new word for the day. <laughs> it's, I'm going I'm to use that word in the next couple of weeks whenever I can. So. Throw, just throw it in a <laughs> conversation one Friday night and see if what people the, the look on people's faces. What are you talking about, Mark? <laughs> well, I'm going to. I'm doing a presentation to a whole lot of craziers tomorrow, so I might just throw that one in there and, and no see, see the reaction. I'll, I'll let you know. But look, Juanita, thanks again. Our time is up uh, today. And thanks very much. Uh, as, as usual, you're a font of knowledge and uh, really appreciate, Juanita, the value that you bring to these conversations. And, uh, and thank you. Thanks, that. Mark. And, so, I'm, and I'm glad we didn't lose you. We didn't lose your connection through that half hour. <laughs> I'm still in Mitchell and here we go. <laughs> anyway, thanks again. Look forward to catching up with everyone next week. Thanks, Juanita. Thanks, Mark. That's, uh, I will see you.